with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another outstanding edition of Ghost Chronicles, the next generation, as opposed to the old generation. So I don't know how I fit in there because couldn't get much older than me. I am Rod Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, the unbelievable, the mystical, the magical, the macabre, New England's own Van Helsink. And with me, all the way from the deep woods of New Hampshire and she doesn't have any wine like my former co-host uh, Leslie Martin. Good evening everyone. How are, are you, you tonight, Ron? Are you drinking? No. Oh, see my no, old I can't drink. It's a, it's a my old co-host drinks drink. when, I, when she does the show. She works with older children though. <laughs> she works with little kids. I'm supposed to set a good example. Whatever. Gosh darn it. So anyway, Anna's doing something, so she's been transposed to the next best thing, which is Leslie Modden, medium, medium rare, a fantastic. Go ahead, keep going. (laughs) Caught your eye. Fantastic, what? Go ahead, keep going. Caught your eye, didn't I? Anyway, uh, yeah, so uh, I have been impressed with your your advancement in the world of psychocosmetics. And you what? What? What the hell was that? Psychocosmetics. Yeah, right. That, this is a development of the ability to speak to those who cannot speak for themselves any longer. Oh, dead people. Well, I thank you for your compliment. But all yeah. I do is I sit and I tell the truth. That's all I do. That, you know, that's a cool thing, and that's what I like about you is, is you know, you, you get what you see, or you see what you get. I don't know, whatever. And, right. I just present what is presented to me. I don't yeah. fish. I don't make things up. You just get what I get. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's boring, <laughs> and sometimes it's pertinent, so... Mm-hmm. And, and the interesting thing is, is you do these, you have been doing it all year with me, the red light seances, and um, they've been interesting. Um, they've been all over the charts, but interesting. Uh, so anyways, we had Ginny uh, May on the show last week and talking uh-huh. a little bit about it, and uh, we've got a new idea about uh she expressed i mean she's been do you she's been to arthur friendly three times and and did a lot of work on the seances and she told me what they do which is we might try is they call on the spirits to do what we want done in other words if we want objects moved then we ask the spirits we ask the spirits who can help us move these objects to come forward and those that so call upon, the, call upon the spirits that, that will help us out, that have done this in the past? Yeah, exactly. 
well-trained spirit? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you. I mean, they develop over the years and years and years. And, uh, yeah, I guess that's what they do. So it's an interesting proposition. But anyways, we're going to I take guess, another. Oh, what? Go ahead. Sorry. I was just, just going to say, well, then we're going to have to change up our dynamic because people are coming and they're looking for, like, connections to the other side. But we're going to need to have, a, like, a focus group that never changes. Exactly. Who's focused on that, the task at hand. I am going to be closing the group. Okay. And so it'll be redeveloping. Uh, yeah, so it's not just going to be an open telephone line to the other side. Uh, gotcha. Okay, so anyways, I'm thinking. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> change. So anyways, um, things change. And speaking about things changing, uh, vampires have never changed, or have they? And we have a gentleman who knows a lot about vampires. He is a good friend of mine. I hope I can say that. Uh, he is Vlad. Vlad, you there? Yes, I am. I am here. You told me 7 o'clock. I'm here awaiting your calls. <laughs> Waiting with bated breath, right? Indeed. I'm sipping on a mint julep like all good Southerners do and awaiting your invitation. What? No blood? Well, we, you know, we can, drink thing, we can drink things for the pure flavor of them. It doesn't all have to be about the eating. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, that's, that's interesting, interesting that you property. say. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say it's interesting that you call yourself a fine Southern gentleman, but your your accent sounds more like I don't know Connecticut or New York. I was I was born in Westchester County in New York, moved to Massachusetts, and then have now been in Wilmington, North Carolina, which is the home of uh, Under the Dome, which just ended, and uh, Sleepy Hollow was filmed here for a while. So, oh, really? I thought that all got washed and the away. Con- or and, and The Conjuring and a bunch of other things. So, mm-hmm. Lots of creepy things. Very, <laughs> very cool. I, too, am a Westchester County girl. Nice to know that yeah. we have something in common. I don't drink blood, <laughs> but I am from New York. <laughs> that you know of. Yeah, they know. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it can uh, be so, in like certain recipes and things, and we never know what's even in there. So. Well, I guess they eat cow's blood and chicken blood and yeah. you know, you know sure. that kind of thing. But I never thought about consuming human blood. No. Well, not all vampires drink blood. Some of them use energy. Uh, there's different types of vampires. So there are sanguine vampires, which are ones that that believe in consuming blood. And then there's pranic vampires, which are vampires that use and manipulate energy. So there's several different types of vampires. So not all vampires consume blood. Well, let me let me ask you this before we get into today's vampires. The old vampires, did they eat food? The old, old vampires, when you go back to, like, the Romanian legends and things like yeah, that, yeah, were yeah. basically one step away from zombies. They were, they were reanimated corpses. That's why the original Bram Stoker Dracula, when you read the description of him, he's very rat-like and, you know, these sort of unkempt, long, calloused nails. And, mm-hmm. you know, later on and when they started doing the Bell Lugosi version, they realized... If you're going to attract victims of the opposite sex, 
you really can't look like you just wandered out of a grave. <laughs> so they sort of sexified them. So. And since then, every single generation has had their own, like, poster child for what they consider sexy for them. They went with Bela Lugosi to Frank Langella and Christopher Lee and, uh, you know, the interview with the vampires, things like that. And we, won't, we won't get into the Twilight vampires because they're not really vampires. So. They sparkle! <laughs> hey, but let me ask you this. I mean, you moved sure. from up here to down uh -huh. there. I mean... Is it hard to find a, a like a new vampire community? I mean, it's not like you go in the phone book and look them up or anything, or is it? I don't know. When, when you go, when I, I mean, when I moved from when I when I was in Westchester, there was nothing in Westchester, so I ended up like getting in contact with many different people in New York City. So then I got into the New York City vampire community, and then when I went to New England, there was nobody in New England, so I had to create one along with a couple other people in New England, because there was none in New England. Yeah, you had to dig a few up, right? Mm -hmm. I had to dig, I, you know, I had to find kindred souls, and it was a long sort of journey to try and find people that were willing to meet in person, that didn't want to sit be, sort of behind a computer and role play. You know, if you're going to meet in person, you have to actually show up and be honest with people. And a lot Whoa. of them sort of want behind a computer and make believe they were 4,000 years old and they still lived at home with mom and you know they didn't want to come out and sort of like come out of the coffin so you know <laughs> I mean I mean I, I don't know about you Leslie but do you find this I mean do you find it kind of unusual vampirism yeah well to the way of life. I say yeah, everyone is into something different. Some people think uh, I'm weird, you know. Well, uh, no, some people think I'm different. Some people think, think you're different. Whatever. Anyways, so I mean, how does <laughs> how does one get into that kind of frame of of life? Uh, I'm sure you just like not born a vampire. You weren't raised a vampire. Um, no, it's, it's, it's an awakening and an understanding of something deeper than yourself. I was, <clears throat> before I got into doing magic, I worked in the haunted house industry, mm -hmm. which put me in contact with several people that were stage magicians. One of them was Jeff McBride, and uh, he was trying to do a new sort of cutting-edge retreat-type thing called Mystery School. And it was bringing together ceremonial magicians with stage magicians to understand how the world sees magic. So by working with ceremonial magicians and understanding through Wicca and ceremonial magic the way people manipulate energy, it came to an understanding for me of that that wasn't really that different than any stage performer, because any stage performer, even if you read Uta Hagen, will tell you there's no greater exhilaration or high than the accolades of the crowd. So if you're manipulating energy from your audience, that's a version of vampirism. You're giving the audience a show, and they're giving you their energy back. So I started exploring that whole facet of things, and... uh 
it brought me to a deeper understanding that, you know, manipulation of energy is a different version of, of being a vampire. Okay, I mean, I understand that part of it, but mm-hmm. what what do you personally get out of becoming a vampire? I mean, is, is it power or is it... I, I, I mean, it's... it's that's, I mean, that's, that's an answer each person has to answer. I mean, some people are in the vampire community because they're deeply embedded in the S&M bondage, you know, heavier version of Fifty Shades of Grey. And, you know, they, they like the byplay of master-slave dynamics of domination. And uh, some people are in it for power. Some people are in it because they want to be... Uh, emulated and sort of fawned over, and some people are in it. I mean, when I got into it, I got into it because, you know, I understood it, and I was there for people that wanted to explore, but I needed to be able to honestly teach them. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to make sure that they didn't sort of, they had a they had somewhere they could go, that they had questions that they could ask someone, that didn't really want something from them. So, you know, it was one of those type things. So anyways, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles, Next Generation with Leslie Martin and Ron Kolick and our special guest, Vlad. And if you have any questions, you can reach us in the TojiNet or the Pararex chat room, and we'll be happy to answer them on the air. So, Vlad, I mean, you are also a magician, and mm-hmm. is... And as a magician, you are a vampire. You are Vlad. Is mm-hmm. that is that an extension of your way of life, or? I mean, I think I think any good performer, sort of like that, creates uh, a genre or creates an archetype, like Elvira or anybody that creates Van Helsing, a persona, is an extension of themselves. So, but my thing was, if you're coming up with a storyline for, I mean, I didn't want to recreate myself like Houdini did, but I wanted to make myself, like, tie all of what I was about into my show. And I had been interested in haunted houses and things like that. And what what more of a perfect way, if you were going to live forever, to explain it away without having to explain it. Well, if you're a vampire, obviously you can read people's minds and you can manipulate the elements. And uh, that shows why you've been around so long, you know? And it's like it, it was all of the catches that other magicians had to sort of throw the disclaimer in there for. I did away with because I'm like, if you're coming to see a show done by a vampire, I don't need a disclaimer. That's true. It's all there. You know, it's sort of like, it's believe what you want. It's it's here. So, you know, it's it's come see the show. And, you know, we're going to talk about haunted things and uh, asylums. I mean, some of my pieces deal with stuff that other magicians didn't wouldn't want to deal with. I mean, one of my routines deals with the journey of I come to a person and tell them that they've died in their sleep and they can play a game with me to see if they can return back to life. Oh. So at that point in time, I'm sort of taking on the archetype of death. And we can play this game and gamble, and you can return back to life, or else we walk beyond the veil. It's your choice. 
You know, and you get that real moment there of people looking and going, I, I don't know if this is real or this is fake, but I'm kind of creeped out. So, <laughs> so I have a question, sort of like, which came first, the chicken or the egg? I, I get from you that at your heart, you're a performer. Is this true? Mm-hmm. Okay, so which came first, your love of theater or your love of vampirism? Well, the which, horror which thing's been there longer. Life? I mean... Horror films. I've been I've been into horror and horror films and horror literature since I was probably about five years old. One of the, one of the times it was I actually got to sit down and watch Boris Karloff's Frankenstein with my grandmother at five when she was babysitting. Oh wow! And I was fascinated. And when I was in elementary school, I used to get ticked off because. I would draw things, and, you know, here they are trying to bring you to the school psychologist's office because you're drawing <laughs> coffins and graves and things, and they go, uh, obviously there must be problems at home. Are you being beaten? And I'd go, no, no, the, the monsters are my friends. And they just didn't understand that someone could sympathize with creatures of the night. And they're like, why do you, you should like happy stuff. And they said, well, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I'm like, I want to be in horror films. And uh, one of my teachers said, I, I can't accept that as an answer. You, you have to come up with something else. And I go, and she sort of like gave me this look because I, I came right out and said to her, I said, you honestly believe that being president or being an astronaut is more realistic than being a horror film actor. And she got ticked off, and she said, children don't think like that. Where did you get that answer? And I'm like, from myself? It's called free thinking. <laughs> I'm sorry that schools don't teach that anymore, but uh, I think for myself. You know, I don't have to be spoon-fed somebody's thought process. So I, I think it's been in there, and it's like, sorry, if you just understand it. I mean, it's sort of like, and I don't know that anybody can really tell you where it comes from, because it's like somebody saying, when was the first time that you understood you could speak to the dead? Or when was the first time that you understood that you were a Wiccan? It's just sort of something that's in there that speaks to you, and things make more sense when you sort of understand that you can manipulate energy and things like that. I don't know if that's a long, ranting answer or that, that fulfills some of what you were looking for. No, that was, that was beautiful. Okay. That was so, it was a nice evolution of, and that's what it is. It's an evolution. Any person who's discovering mm-hmm. themselves, it's an evolution process. So. Well, I think, and I think some some of the people that like because a lot of my stuff parallels, you know, the ghost hunting and and the mediumship and stuff because I'm walking that line between the veil where I I want them to walk away and and sort of be slightly fearful after the show and go, I don't know if that was real, and I don't know if it would ever happen again, but I think there's more out there than I assumed before I walked in. Mm-hmm. You know, because I just never thought the thing was cool about, oh, pick a card, put the card back in, here's your card again. Well, why did you lose the card in the first place? <laughs> yeah, It's like you had the card, why did you lose it? I mean, but I do... Like, one of the things I'll be doing at the show at the Halloween week is um, a piece about the Rochester Orphan Asylum fire in 1901. You know, and it's like exploring this whole thing where 27 children were burned in a fire. So it's like when you start talking about stuff like that, you have to be very careful about, A, how you're dealing with it, and 
you know, I sort of remind people when you're opening the door to stuff like this, uh, when you call out to one of the dead, all of them hear you. You know, you people know, don't realize that. They're like, oh, no, when you dial in an Ouija board, you're, you're, you're only getting that one person. It's like, no, no, you're not. <laughs> it's, it's a party line. They all hear you. <laughs> you know, that's um, – it's interesting. So would you classify more as, as, as your magic as macabre magic when you, when you deal with stuff like that rather than, you know, the, the, the more showman stuff? I mean, I consider, I to me, that's why I came up with the term gothic, because in the original, you know, not the Marilyn Manson, you know, Nine Inch Nails stuff people think of now, but it's the true sense of gothic with Lord Byron and Shelley and Poe, where they perceived the world through a different filter, and the darkness was beauty, and they were so sad because all of the things that they wanted to enjoy in their life they might not get to partake of all of them. And that's what the, the sorrow was from, is like, life is so short, like, how can we do everything we want to? So I like to explore those things and sort of like leave people with that, you know, and it's it's sort of almost like the, the piece I mentioned about death is sort of a shamanic journey because it's sort of like, here it is, you have to make real choices and confront what if I did die during my sleep and at the end, it's sort of this cathartic thing where it's like, the worst thing I thought could have happened, happened, and I'm okay. And it's like, okay, well then enjoy every day, because none of this is taken for granted. So. Yeah, that makes makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, when you see, when you see the portrayal of Ollie's, uh, let's look at the vampire things a little, but the, the Ollie's vampires on, on TV, I mean, do mm-hmm. you? I mean, you separate yourself from that. That's what I'm really. I guess I'm saying that, in, that you're not. Well, I mean, first, first of all, we have to we have to understand like anything that's media is going to be glamorized. So there are no overweight vampires. There are no like short vampires. There, you know, on TV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, in the real life vampire culture in New York City. There, there are straight vampires, there are gay vampires, there are bisexual vampires, there are Hindu vampires, there are Jewish vampires, there are born-again Christian vampires. They run the full gambit. And it's like sort of like it's a wide cross-section. And everybody, I mean, you have people that are sort of like the, the categories are people that are, ro- there's people that are role players, which meant I just want to get dressed up and hang out with vampires because I think it's cool. Mm-hmm. They live like extended Halloween. So those are the role players. Then you have people that are like the blood fetishists, which is sort of a crossover into the bondage S&M community where it's a sexual kink for them to play with blood. Then you get sanguine vampires, which are vampires that believe that there's some piece of their physiology that they actually need to partake of human blood to feel whole. Then you have pranic vampires, which are people that manipulate energy and feel that you don't, that blood was always just a metaphor. Even in the Bible, it's like blood is the life. So they feel it's just a metaphor and that if you can transcend and just use energy, there's no need for the physical blood. But all of those ones, like, except for, you know, I can't speak for the S&M community because I'm not really a part of them. 
-hmm. But all of the vampire things is you do not, it is like verboten to do any of this against someone's will. You need to have permission. You need to have a willing participant. If you're going to play games with blood, you better both be like medically tested and it be up to date and use sterile conditions and understand what you're getting into and have a full commitment to each other, either as in a relationship or some people have sort of like dedicated donors that that they will only share with that person. So there's all these different things that are like within the world of the vampire. It's not just all everybody going to a rave and getting sprayed with blood and, you know, dancing until, you know, it's not the Lost Boys really, but uh, slightly. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of disappointing, I know. <laughs> I was wondering about that because there are so many, you know, Bloodborne diseases out there. I was, I always wondered to myself if there was some sort of code of ethics. I'm glad to hear that there is because I worry about things like that. And and it's it's a very real possibility. I mean, there's like you know scary diseases that are multiplying and mutating, and you know they're around us at all time. Like because our bodies are bombarded with different pollutants and pharmaceuticals on a daily basis, and toxins in the environment and everything else so it's like you have to be very aware of that and that's that was one of the things i was saying about teaching is somebody had to i got into it because i'm like as a magician i was i was brought up through like the apprentice system of magicians not i saw a video on youtube now i want to be a magician it was you found a magician he taught you the stuff he passed you on to another magician that would teach you something else and then, you know, I was brought into, like, the ceremonial magic world. And then from there, I was brought into, like, the KTO and OTO ceremonial things. And, you know, the Golden Dawn and all these, like, higher magic things. Mm. And, well, and we're I sort to of hold wanted that thought to because people. we have to take a break right now. So, uh, anyways, oh. if you'll be right back. So you're listening to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ron Kolick and my special co-host tonight, Leslie Martin. <laughs> And I guess Vlad, uh, right here on Tojinet Parex and wherever else we'll be in play. We'll be right back after the following messages. first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, Para-X Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. Two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. The other is Stephen Parsons, and he is a paranormal scientist. Well, mustache, I am required elsewhere on something called a K2. But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. Welcome to Talking Ed, radio with a cutting edge. 
feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. And we are back. Yes, we are. This is Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. Tonight I am endless, as I can say. Uh, it does hurt. Yes, it does. Anyways, with me is the next best thing. Uh-huh. Uh, my good friend, Leslie Martin, the author of Medium Rare. And you can go to her website, which is www.lesliemartin.com. That's L E S L E Y M A R D E N.com. There you go. And you know what, Les? Uh, what? You and I have, uh, of course, started producing Van Helsing's special blend. To yes, we can't spill any on blast. <laughs> 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 yes, um, if you go to my Etsy shop, which is Positively Brilliant, you can purchase your own, very own Van Helsing spiritual smudge spray. Ooh. With the secret ingredient, of course. It's really a, a cool little thing if you haven't seen it. It comes complete with, I'm sorry, Vlad, a silver cross. And uh, around the uh, neck of the bottle, and uh, the St. Michael's Prayer is also printed on it as well. So uh, it never would have happened without my good friend, Leslie Mod, who actually Reiki infuses the bottles on top of it. So, like, they're, like, super magical. So there you go. Super magical. Super magical. So speaking about super it's magical... A, it, Yes, look. See, that doesn't bother. That doesn't bother me because vampires predate Christianity, so no, I that would doesn't have to matter. Yeah. <laughs> so the, for the crucifix to work, I would have to be have been a follower of you know. No, Christianity. no, 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 no. That's the most misunderstood uh, line. You know how many times we hear that? It's not important whether the person that you're warding off believes in it or not. It's the important thing is that you believe in it. That's where the power comes from. It's from your intent. Yes, Vlad. Well, so. it's from the person's intent, but the vampire would have to believe that the other person no, has higher power. No, 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 no. You, it's the. Yeah, she- I don't believe that. I don't believe that there's the higher power than me. So that's that's why I'm such a good magician. Yeah, because- but see, Vlad. See, this is see, this is the fallacy in that is you. you it's you, and you understand all about manipulating energy. That's exactly uh-huh. what you're doing. If your belief in this Van Helsing spray or whatever you believe in is more powerful than the energy that you have. Ha! No, I, Ooh, that, this sounds like a I, duel. That's right. I, don't, I don't think that that's possible, that there's something more I powerful. <laughs> Fam- famous last words of the vampire. Ah, you, you do realize. You do, you do realize I'm also... You do realize I'm also a reverend with Universal Life Church, too. So. Ah, whatever. 
I've Joy, actually wow. done. I did. I've done several weddings. So. <laughs> you, <laughs> you are go. a multifaceted man. Whew. Yeah, so, I tried to. I tried to cover all bases. So, <laughs> so Vlad, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you for one reason or another, <laughs> uh, how mm-hmm. could they? Re- how could they reach you? They can either find me through the Gothic Magic of Vlad on Facebook, or if they wanted to go to my website, which woefully needs to be re- revamped <laughs> in the 21st century, um, it's gothicmagic.com. Yeah. And of course, that's and then if they're interested in strange and unusual magic, if they're interested yeah. in strange and unusual magic, we are actually doing the East Coast Spirit Sessions in Myrtle Beach, which is paranormal entertainers and seance workers and strange and unusual magicians, January 15th through 17th in Myrtle Beach. We had heard, we heard possibility that you might actually show up there. uh, That's what I'm attempting to work out. I hope so, because... Yeah, uh, yeah I, I miss some of the old guys that I've met before. And, and, and Vlad, I had the, the, the great opportunity to work with you uh, a couple of times, and I, I found that quite intriguing. Uh, I, I love your type of magic. It's not that street magic crap. It's, it's real cool stuff. That's what I like it for. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Yeah. We and, have to get your person who put... We have to get your person that put the uh, podcasts up to, when they spelled my name, they added an extra D on there. It's, it's yeah. V-L-A-D. It says V-L-A-D-D and the amazing Viano. I was like, there's only one D in Vlad. So. Uh, oh, well. I wonder who that would be. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I think you're speaking. I was like, it's, I was like, it's, it's Vlad. It's not Vlad. <laughs> It's, well, I thought you were from New York, so... Yeah, Brad, he speaks the whatever. same way, too, when uh, he tries to you know, enunciate names. So, so funny, for somebody who doesn't know about this type of magic you do, I mean, explain some of the the trips that, that you take people through. And, and I know them, like I said, because I had a chance to operate. And, and they're really, really cool. So, I mean... You know, I'm, I'm not asking you to go into the tricks, but I- explain mm-hmm. some of the things that you have done. I could do that. Well, I mean, one of the things, like I mentioned, is going to be for this year is going to be one of the effects we'll deal with the Rochester Orphan Asylum uh, fire in 1901. So, so we have some sort of memorial cards and pictures of some of the children that were killed, unfortunately, in the fire, and then we go through a procedure that we have someone from the audience guide us through several choices that they make, and we see if any of the children will communicate with us through manipulation of the pictures and the memorial cards. Wow. That is um, very cool. One of the other... one of the other things I do is on uh, an effect about Countess Elizabeth Bathory, and uh, vampire, because we can't because we can't legally torture and mutilate somebody from the audience. We have a symbolic handmaiden chosen by that person, and the handmaiden is tortured and mutilated, and ends up uh. being partially restored, held by the right hand of Countess Bathory that's been across the stage the entire time. 
Can I uh, volunteer Hillary for that? I'm just saying. I don't know. Right, move along. Yeah. <laughs> for the mutilating or? Yeah, the mutilating part. Yeah, that was uh, not that I yeah. have any ill will at all in my body. But anyways. Uh, yeah. I, I, avoided, I, I avoided that whole situation last night. I was like, there's got to be something better on. <laughs> <laughs> that was a love fest. Uh, anyways, yeah. um, one of the things I did see you is I remember you did a bit on the uh, the Lizzie Borden house, which I fact I, I still mm-hmm. have have the thing in my office here, uh, which was well, really really cool. And I like trying like I, I like trying to bring history to life and have these things have tangible objects and have people experience these legends and things. I mean, it was sort of disappointing in Salem one time where. Uh, a couple came in and, you know, because everybody, for some reason, first thought is magic is for children. And yeah. I'm like, no, 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 I'm doing a show with Daniel Greenwolf and myself. It's not for children. It's We have a bardic magician and a gothic magician. It's not for children. Not to say that children couldn't enjoy it, but... For, she says, well, why why would you say it's not for children? I said, because... I refer a lot to different literature figures and historical figures. And I said, as an example, if your child hasn't read Edgar Allan Poe, he probably won't understand what's happening. And they both looked at me and they said, well, neither one of us has read Edgar Allan Poe. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And I said, said, well, then I'm sorry, none of you will enjoy my show. I'm like, you know, there has to be Lovecraft, like... It's it's like all of these things that are assumed. Like, come on, where's your where's your like Regent's English? You know, let's read Poe, study the Raven. You know, it's have you people ever read Wuthering Heights type thing? You know, it's come on. I actually uh, so, on Facebook today there was a rendition of Christopher Watkins reading the uh, Raven. Uh, yeah. If you can imagine what that was like. Yeah, I actually have. There's a, a, a two CD set of different uh, different actors and spoken word people all doing different things of like Edgar Allan Poe. And there's Christopher Lee and Walk In and a bunch of other different people. Oh, in cool. there. And it's like it's amazing the like variety of different styles and things all paying tribute to the Dark Master there. So <laughs> I like Poe. You know, like, like, you know, I was surprised that some of the people in New England area had never heard of Lovecraft. Seriously? Like, okay, really? Cthulhu? Yeah, wow. You know, the whole Cthulhu thing? They're like, no, no, no. No, never heard of it. But then again, I mean, then again, some of the people still, when I was doing things in Salem, asked me where the witches were burned. <laughs> uh, okay. And I would go, um, over that way across the water in Europe. <laughs> I didn't appreciate that, but I was like... Well, you know, they say ignorance is bliss, so there's a lot of blissful people around. (laughs) They must be truly happy then. Yes. (laughs) Uh, I mean, they go to these places, and it's like they have no, like, grasp of, you know, it's like there was a thing that had several 20-somethings, and they were asking them questions about the Revolutionary War, and they're like, that was the war we fought with the French, and one went. Oh, I think we. 
that was something to do with China, wasn't it? And it's like, yeah, that's the really? one. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, well. Bueller? Bueller? Anybody? Bueller? <laughs> <laughs> that's so sad. Anyways, uh, the the gothic uh, scene, of course, is, has been around for a while. And now we're into mm-hmm. the, the steampunk, uh, which do you think that's like a uh, – uh, the growing up of gothic, or, or is it? Or are they even related? That's that's a better way. Of it. It's an offshoot because we first we first had punk was around before gothic. Punk was yeah. there, and there were people that were sort of the spooky punks, and they became the goths. And then gothic was around for a long period of time, and then it branched off and became part of the emos, and then. The emos went their way, and and then people that were sort of like I think steampunk is is appreciative of gothic culture, but it's like sort of whether you like Star Wars or Star Trek, <laughs> it's it's similar but it's different because steampunk is pretty much Jules Verne's and yeah that's, Victorian that's science yep. fiction, yeah, and it's it's part of gothic i mean the the gothic is the high victorian edwardian period so it's tied in there but one is more the horror macabre and the other one is more science fiction so it's sort of that in between, you know it's kind of more in between there's what? a tie there's a connection there where you could go either yeah, way there, yeah, and it's exactly it's it's like sort of like they're walking the same streets, but it's like depends on which bar you go to. You know, it's like same time period, same location because mostly everything takes pair, you know, takes place in London, you know, England for some reason. Everything happens in London, so you know, I guess that's just like the stereotypical fantasy land for most places is we want to be in Victorian London, so. Although most people saw what Victorian London looked like during the period, they wouldn't want to be in Victorian London, but that's another thing. So <laughs> it's like New York City during that period. It wasn't a real happy place, you know, it's sort of No. But yeah. I, I what agree. can one do? <laughs> uh, so I mean how do you I mean I I've seen like I said, I've seen your act so where do you find all this cool stuff that you you use? I mean, it's some of it's it's, it's amazing, really. A lot of a lot of it, I I create. I mean, I had to because that's when I like I said before I was was before I was a magician. I was creating. Uh, let's make this room look like it's antique marble, and we have to do this, and we have to make this look like it's stone. So I learned all of these faux finish antiquing like techniques and so I look at something and I'll go okay well this is a storyline I want to create and let me go to Hobby Lobby and find something that is a box and then now make the box look like it survived the Chicago fire and make sure that the box smells like it was in a fire and make sure when somebody touches it, it feels like it was in a fire. And now you have to create a provenance for it and create some kind of documents that look like they were in the fire and Hmm. piece it all together. So we have several different layers of believability. So it's kind of like, 
something you buy in the store or yeah. something. No, you can't really buy it in the store because, I mean, there are several people that, like, if you actually come down to to the convention, there are three people that I can think of off the top of my head that do a lot of really cool things. But it's first and foremost, they were they got into magic, but they were artisans first. I mean, they were sculptors and woodworkers and people like that and got the magic bug and decided that they liked creepy stuff too. So they started creating stuff for people based on their own creativity. But a lot of my stuff, you know, it's like I just, I want it to be, I mean, I, some of the ones like the death card routine, there's been several sort of world famous magicians that have offered to buy the death card routine that I created. And I'm like, no, because if somebody sees you on television, do it. Now that's yours. I'm like, and if I ever do it someplace else, they're going to go, oh, that was the routine so-and-so did. I'm like, so if I don't sell it, then therefore it stays with me. And so You have to be protective of your own property and your own right. Because yeah. if, you, if you share it, then it's no longer yours. Yeah, and somebody can make, like, one little change to it, and they'll go, no, it's not the same as yours, like... This doesn't take like place. In like here, it's yeah, you know, it's it's a different story now. So it's mine, and it's like no, no, it's not yours because <laughs> I can show a videotape of me performing it in 1995. And <laughs> so, is there a competitive edge to the magician circuit? Do you have to like keep things close to your vest, or are you a friendly? You community? do to a certain extent, depending on what your style is, and how marketable you want to be. I mean, I created a style that was more based on, you know, when I first started out, I was like, I don't really want to do kid shows. My first thing was like, not that I have anything against children, but I don't want to be the guy, when you do kid shows, if the kid messes something up, you have to sort of take the blame for the kid messing up. And it's like sort of one of those, like, oh, no, it's okay. And I'm like, no, no, it's not okay. You messed up. <laughs> you, you messed it up. And, you know, I didn't want to be that guy that goes, oh, okay, little Johnny, don't worry about it. Like, and I didn't want, you know, child hands all over my stuff that was took me hours to create. So I was like, we're not doing kid shows. We're not, we're not doing kid shows. And I always wanted to make sure that my material satisfied I guess people that were just as nerdy and geeky as I was and read and catered to people that were fascinated with altered reality in the sense that they wanted to make sure it was sort of like virtual life. When you walked into the theater, the sights and sounds and smells of the period were there, so you were getting something more than some guy that's standing on a street corner doing a card trick. So I, I created a whole genre, you know, that's why I created Gothic Magic was that I was like, okay, we're going to use the, because the term before that was several people were calling themselves bizarre magicians. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, bizarre has way too many connotations. It could be the guy that bites heads off chickens in a sideshow. It could be the person that lays on a bed of nails. It could be this, it could be that. And the archetype usually was this dark sorcerer. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not roaming around with a 
hooded robe on. I'm wearing Victorian clothing and velvets and lace and things like that. So we're in the Gothic period, so therefore it's Gothic magic. So That's a, that's a great idea. You know, and it's like sort of a lot of it. I threw stuff in there, and hopefully, I mean, some of the subtexts come through. I mean, a lot of them are in my mind, and I go, well, yeah, people will pick up on this. And some people go, oh, no, I didn't really get that, but it was cool. Okay. (laughs) I'll have to tell you that when I first met you, um, which was Mm -hmm. at one of Ron's events, I was very taken by your look. You, you, Thank you drew me in with just your look. <laughs> so I, I, I appreciate all of the effort that you put into every detail. Even when you just walk into the room, your presence is huge. I, I try and do it because it was sort of like one of those, I mean, people, I heard, com, like we, I did shows in Salem for over 10 years with Daniel and uh, Daniel Greenwell. Mm-hmm. And some of the other magicians were sort of like, well, you guys were doing a grind. You'd be there like 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, yep, 10 o'clock in the morning till 10 o'clock at night. We did shows on the hour. And some of the magicians would go, no. And I'm like, yeah. They go, well, how could you get those? How could you get full shows constantly? (laughs) And (laughs) And I go, and I said to him, I'm like, sometimes on a Wednesday at 10 o'clock in the morning, you don't have a full show. But there might be four people that, like, have to be back for a bus ride that really want to see your show. So why should you tell them, no, you can't see my show, if they're paying the same price other people are paying? Oh, that's Uh nice. I'm like, so you should give them the same experience as if there's 75 people in the audience. Like, just, you know, you just have to realize that if there's only four people in the audience, all of them are going to be selected volunteers. You know, if you're okay with that, we're good to go. You know, it's like, I'm like, their money is the same as everybody else's. So get like, take them for the ride, you know, bring them through the curtain and and do the show for them. Because when they look back, they go, I was in Salem and, and some of the stuff really sucked, but there was these two cool magicians and they did a private show for us because nobody else was around and there were only four of us and they did a show. I'm like, well, my work is done. You remember something, like, meaningful. I mean, and we tried to do that, like, at Life and Death in Salem. You know, we tried to make it where people were right. came behind the curtain and saw the show and, you know, got the experience. So, mm-hmm. yep, I, I don't know. That, we, we can only... I, I remember uh, I actually did an interview with uh, both of you there at uh, Life and Death. Mm-hmm. That was a long time yeah. ago, but... Yeah, a little while ago. And then we were sort of like, yay, they want to talk to us. Because <laughs> in Salem, not a lot of people want to talk to you. They're sort of like, they're there, they're tourists, and you're part of the freak show. And uh, I, I mean, you know, some of the people will stop you and they're like, oh, we want to get take pictures taken with the magicians. Uh, okay, cool. Take the picture and here we go. We're trying to eat a slice of pizza before we have to be back for the next show. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> You know, it's it's not all glamour. Sometimes, you know, you're sort of like drinking a protein shake in between 15-minute segments because that's the only lunch you're going to get. But uh, you know, you, you do what you can do, and you know, you you leave the you leave the moment there for the person, and uh, you know, because that's, that's sort of tough. 
That's yeah. a tough thing to do. It's a grueling. It's a, it's, and I don't think the people understand that when you have to be on all the time, it is a tiring thing. So yeah, it's from 10 o'clock in the morning until 10 at night. That's amazing. And that's what people go, when did you eat supper? And I go, I don't know, 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night. They're like, how could you eat that late? I'm like, didn't really have a choice. Right. You've got to do what you got to do. They're like, and they're like, did you, did you take it? What day? When did you have a day off? I'm like, uh, November 1st. Because we were there the entire month and doing shows every single day that, there, you know, there wasn't torrential downpours or something else that stopped us from doing shows. You know, we did we did the shows and, you know, we, we tried to give people like that, an experience. Doing things like that really make you appreciate the bathroom. They really do. <laughs> yeah. You need time to do that too, and sometimes you just don't have the time. And we actually, when we were at Life and Death in Salem, sometimes if people, because you try every sales pitch that you can, I mean, one of the things that helped us a lot was Daniel and I were the only show in Salem that had a money back guarantee. Oh, wow. If you did not like our show, we would give you the $10 back. And out of 10 years of shows, one person asked for their money back. Oh, that's a bummer. And it was a magician. I think that's a fantastic <laughs> Of course and I was it like, was. And it was a magician. And, and the magician sat in the last row of the, of the place. It was, was like a half full house. He sat in the last row. And his complaint was, there weren't enough tricks. Oh, well. And I'm like... So, so you just basically wanted to see a trade show. You wanted to steal stuff. See, like speed, run through the tracks. And he goes, "Well, I wanted to see if there was something that was cool that I could." I'm like, "See, so you were looking for stuff that you could snag." Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that was the doorbell, uh, which means pizza from the dead is here. So we got to say goodbye to you, Vlad. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. And once again, give out your websites for us. It is gothicmagic.com, and the other thing I was speaking of is the eastcoastspiritsessions.com. And if anybody's in the Wilmington area, I will be at the Browncoat Theater the 26th through 31st of this month, and that's on Grace Street in Wilmington. And I had a pleasure chatting with you both again, and uh, it was a great time. I appreciate yep. you having me back. Yep, thank you very much. And that's Wilmington, North Carolina, not Massachusetts. So, uh, yes. and if you if you're ever up this way, we definitely got to do something. Uh, you know, it's high on my list. Uh, so, Vlad, Excellent. best of luck, and thank you for being with us. Thank you. It was a pleasure being here. Have a good night. Yep. yep bye. Thank you, Vlad. You're welcome. Well, that was interesting. It's always interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, uh, you, you want to catch Leslie. Leslie and I will be, uh, what, November or whatever it is now. God, time flies, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Uh, so it'll be the first Tuesday in November. Right, November 2nd. There you go. Yep, and we'll so, be at the VZ Estate, and we will yep. do, be doing, oh, I don't know. Are you going to change it up? Well, we'll talk about it. Anyways, session? that's the music. we got to go. Check out the website, neghostproject.com. The letter N, the letter E, ghostproject.com. LeslieModden.com. 
and I'm not going to spell it. Leslie. <laughs> L-E-S-L-E-Y. M-A-R-D-E-N. Thank you. Good night. Bye-bye. From ghoulies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.